Hello and welcome to The Modern Urologist. I'm Dr. Todd Cohen with Myriad Genetics, and I'd like to introduce the second part of a talk that I had with Dr. Samuel Peritzman from Urologic Specialists of the Carolines. The topic we were discussing is focal therapy and high-intensity focused ultrasound. And this is a continuation uh, from part one. Uh, thanks and enjoy the uh, rest of this uh, discussion. What about other forms of therapy or other energies? Cryo for focal, or I guess you know they're doing trials now for laser ablation, intraprostatic laser ablation. What, what are your thoughts on those as comparable to HIFU? Yeah, so I'm not an engineer, but the only difference between cryo and HIFU is in the engineering. So the technology that's existed since the old CMS days for cryo, the units of energy the dimensions of an ice ball and the smallest ice ball any company's created to date is much larger than a unit of HIFU. So a HIFU energy unit is gonna be roughly 10 to 12 millimeters long and two to three millimeters across. So I tell people it's like an uncooked grain of rice. Uh, if you look at a typical- Same as a breaky seed. Yeah. And that's why Haifu is so darn tedious and takes a long time. Uh, you have to overlap all those little seeds. It's pixel not, by pixel. It's not put in 60 seeds. It's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of units of heat, three seconds at a time. Cryo, the different needles available are typically, as I tell patients, like a breakfast sausage link. You know, there's one glial needle you can get down to maybe 13 to 16 millimeters. So when you're trying to sculpt the energy into a prolate spheroid, a prostate, those shapes don't mesh well, particularly at the Wait, apex. What, for our, our, our listening audience, which probably is mostly my mother listening to all my podcasts, yeah. um, <laughs> say that word again. <laughs> well, that's the mathematical formula you use to calculate volume of you know, height times width times length times pi divided by two. To, that's, right. that's the geometric formula for prolate spheroid. That's what a human okay. prostate is. But at the apex where it tends to be narrowest, it's hard to get those units of cold in without being extra prostatic, which at the apex means the neurovascular bundle. So I've always found it difficult to do cryohemiablations and achieve the lack of erectile dysfunction I can get with HIFU. And it's not because it's heat versus cold, it's the geometry of the unit of that thermal ablation. If somebody could come up with a cryo with a needle that could make a 10 by two by two millimeter ice ball, then that should work well. Yeah, but you'd probably have to have 7,000 needles to stick in. <laughs> right. probably, but it's, you know, it's you, the porcupine technique is... Right. Yeah, it's not heat versus cold. Uh, laser, is just another way to deliver heat, so no magic about that. And there's a number of radiologists we all know that have been doing in gantry MRI guided laser therapy for a long, long time. Uh, and I'll send some patients out to Desert Springs to get it done, you know, for selective patients. Uh, I haven't used Dr. Sperling, you know, in New York or Florida, but I've used the Desert Spring Group, Desert Springs Group. The advantage of that. It, well, actually, if you look at the history, how did it develop? Well, they're radiologists, so they can, they're 
spectrum of intervention is not as wide as a urologist, and they're using an MRI. So they have to use an energy source that's compatible with a magnetic field. Well, that's glass. So, you know, they put a glass fiber, fiber which right. is MRI compatible, in an active magnet, nothing bad happens. Historically, they just use the old BPH fibers. You know, so they were probably not a good idea to stick a needle in there and turn your MRI on. Probably not. So, okay. you know, that's how it developed. It's what did they have as tools in their tool chest that they could do targeted ablations with? Uh, nothing wrong with it. There are small ablations. Uh, they can have some issues with, uh, you know, anterior lesions because you get to get under the pubis and a tall prostate, same as a cryo needle challenge or a brachytherapy needle challenge or an HDR needle challenge. If it's a tall gland and it's upstream from the pubis, obviously, the pubis is a shadow, uh, but nothing wrong with it. And then the other issue is they're long in gantry procedures and most urologists don't have that type of time access to a magnet. You know, if it's three hours in gantry, the, I can't imagine anybody in Charlotte's going to be letting me tie up their MRI for three hours. I, I think most urologists are not, you know, giving up to, you know, they're not going to refer to too many radiologists to do these kind of procedures when you have techniques like IFU or cryo. Right. And you're a urologist, you're very comfortable with ultrasound, you've done God knows how many ultrasound guided biopsies. You might do brachytherapy. You might do cryo. You're really facile with transrectal ultrasound. So using a transrectal source of heat just kind of fits right into, you know, the urologist sweet spot anyways. Yeah, I know the cryo kind of really changed when they went from the nitrogen, the liquid nitrogen freezing to the argon gas. That made a difference because I remember the days when, you had to turn off your liquid nitrogen and you, you had to guess when the ice ball would stop. Yeah, I, I started out a lot in the old CMS, like 15 French 5 Pro era, uh, yep. you know, having trained up at Allegheny long, long time ago. Uh, I still do, you know, maybe a cryo or two a month, most of it, but not all of it, salvage, uh, post-radiation, persistent mm -hmm. disease. And then we'll do some you know, gentlemen in their eighth decade that aren't sexually active, uh, the insurance coverage for HIFU can be an issue. They'd rather have HIFU, but Medicare covers their cryo better and they're not sexually active, so they just have a cryo. Talking about failures, uh, you get a patient that has a failure, whether it's a whole gland, HIFU, um, or a cryo possibly, or focal. What do, you, what do you tend to do or recommend for these guys? I know it depends on the patient, if they're in field or out of field and that kind of thing too. Let's just, let's take the example of an out of field. So you've treated the left side of the gland and now they come back and they have right side uh, recurrence or new tumor or something. What yeah, do you so, tend to do for those guys? Yeah, so our out of field recurrence rate in the first hundred to two years was 11% out-of-field recurrence was defined as a Gleason group two tumor, okay? Because if you had a contralateral uh, Gleason group one, then you still would qualify for a hemi on the, on the index side. So you could have a 12 millimeter four three on the right 
and a one millimeter three three on the left and we chose to leave it alone so in the first hundred reviewed the strongest predictor of a gleason group two or higher persistence in field or tumor discovered out of field was the presence of a gleason group one initially on the untreated side that was actually the strongest predictor of failure I actually, I actually read that article. Pardon? So, I actually read that article, sorry. Yeah. So, <laughs> One of the few. Part of it has to do with how stringent you are uh, investigating the untreated side. And I think the group that kind of got this going in the US five years ago and supports you know, the heat registry, uh, everybody's good at following you know, the preoperative evaluation. Uh, but for a partial gland treatment, the better the investigation pretreatment, the less failures you're going to find. So you better the MRI, the more biopsies you do on that side. The more that non-treated side's assessed, the less failures you're going to find afterwards. Because arguably, the one-year biopsies are just better sampling from the year before. You probably haven't grown a new tumor in one year you're just extending right. your sampling. And if you'd done that better sampling the first year, you might've made a different decision. But if you find a tumor more than a microfocal, Gleason six and out of field, the patient's just back to square one. You've got a low risk and immediate risk, whatever you have, what would you like to do about it? The targeted ablation burns no bridge. There's no therapy you can't pick from for your out of field recurrence after a targeted therapy on the opposite side than if you just never had anything and it was discovered de novo. Uh, some patients will choose to just have the other side haifu. If they were very happy with one side, they may just haifu the other side. Some will go on watchful waiting if that's appropriate, you know, a low risk microfocus. Some just decide I'm done and they'll move over and have radiation or you'll have a robotic prostatectomy. But you, the first HIFU didn't change the treatment choices if you need a second treatment, whether it's in-field or out-of-field. On a guy that had a whole gland and you get a recurrence, mm -hmm. is that a guy that, I'll say gluten grade root two recurrence. Uh, what do you typically do for that? Yeah, so part of it depends on whether I did his first HIFU or not. Uh, so the first thing we do is try to explain why they failed. Now on that biopsy that found the recurrence, the pathologic or histologic spectrum could be, we see persistent cancer and we see no thermal effect in the tissue. A mess, okay? So, uh, you know, the characteristic changes are the same of any other coagulative necrosis. There's some pathologists that think with hyphae you get increased elastosis in field, but generally you should see the consequences of coagulative necrosis. It's so just to me, yeah. yeah, to me it's different if in that core, there's no thermal effect whatsoever. That's a myth. A myth. Right. Somehow you need yeah. to explain. And if somehow we can look at the study because one of the unique things about HIFU is it's on a hard drive. So unlike radiation or your radical prostatectomy or your cryo, 
you can go back and look at the entire treatment. It's recorded every three seconds. So you can go back with an engineer and go, was it clear heat never got to target? And there's various reasons for that. We can either discuss or I'll just jump over. But you can have an area that it never got to 80 or 90 degrees, and you can see that. So if I see a technical failure that I think I can improve on, then I'll offer them a second hyphen. If I see an intermediate high-grade cancer in a field of coagulative necrosis, maybe that tumor is just genetically heat-resistant, like some are radiation-resistant, just able to repair and move on. Uh, so we try to figure out why they failed. If I think I technically did a good job and I see histologic effect of my intended therapy and there's persistent cancer, I'll encourage them to pick something else. Okay, I'd be remiss to ask or to not ask since this is what I do for you know, like my vocation now. Do you see a role with these patients in particular because you are looking for recurrences a little bit more closely than we do for um, say radiation, uh, some other therapies, um, or biomarkers? You know, is there a point where you know, for focal therapy, we have some that say, hey, your, your chance of adverse pathology is higher or your chance of uh, you know, T3 plus disease is, is higher or your chance of you know, a more aggressive tumor than, than you're treating uh, or you think you're treating is there. Do you see a role that of either a predictive role or additive to make your therapies better? Or going yeah, from yeah. maybe a focal, or, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, um, I'm just trying to, I have to finish my thought because I'm too old to remember if I stop in the middle. But, you know, if you're planning focal and maybe you have a, a more aggressive one, you say, you know what, it's more aggressive than we think and you know, because of this, we're going to move into a full gland therapy. Yeah, so it's unequivocally important. Just we as uh, urologists, I would say, have failed our patients. We haven't executed that. So we've had these discussions with the various companies, including Myriad, for well over five years. You know, when I was the medical director in Nassau, Bahamas at that site, and my, uh, the folks that preceded me in that role, we even had them come down and give presentations at our Haifu Center down there. This has been discussed for years. Uh, either A, using it to decide uh, who's a better candidate, using it to decide who we need to watch closer for failure, uh, looking for genetic profiles of heat resistance, like you could have sort of a Porter score for radiation. There could actually be a heat index, a genetic profile that says you are more likely to have an infield recurrence. You know, somehow your cancer cells can function at a higher temperature, your proteins won't denature, or you'll, you'll survive and recover. Uh, so all that is needed information. We've just collectively failed to collect it. Um, I think that there's a there's more, you know, from the traffic that I'm seeing, there is a lot more resurgence in that thought. Um, yeah, part of it was when we looked at doing it, uh, so we looked at even, because we've had this discussion with you in the past, can we get people from around the country to to identify for us failures and then go back and look at that tissue. 
And when we said, well, we could easily come up with 30 or 50, and we actually got two sent to us uh, yeah. around the country. So it, it's highly valuable information if we can actually collect it. So there's the, the focus 2020 is coming up in a couple of weeks. And, you know, we, and it sounds like that might be a good forum to throw this up there and say, hey, you're all focal therapy people. Let's sit down and talk about this. And I think that's, you know, our goal is to, is to get and spark an interest into just that is how can we serve these patients better? How can we make what's a, what's a real good procedure and probably a big, a big future and a movement in this focal therapy direction, I think, and, uh, and make sure we're I picking think it's the right purely patients. logistics and finances. Yeah. You know, Which, you've got to, we're, we're getting more and more people with higher volume, but when you needed more practitioners, scattered across the United States to contribute, you know, everybody kicking in a few patients, just the logistics of it, uh, chasing down who's got the tissue blocks because so many HIFU surgeons aren't the diagnostic urologists, they're the treating urologists. You're gonna get back to the, diagnost the diagnostic ones to get the blocks, to get them sent. Uh, you get to deal with, is the patient getting billed? You know, there were just enough logistical hurdles, uh, financial hurdles, and lack of incentives to everybody involved that it just never got done. But it has nothing to do with the value of it. It's, it's valued and is needed. Yeah, so I, I think that it's, from, from the corporate side, I believe that we're seeing it more and more of a need and we'll be helping to you know, conquer the logistics things you know obviously COVID has put a, a damper on everything uh not just this this is just a small tiny infinitesimal portion of what's been affected by it but uh listen i want to thank you so much for okay thanks. talking and we hope to see you uh out and about in the real world uh, again All pretty right. soon well thank thanks you again, again for Sandy, having me. And, appreciate it uh, really appreciate your time and your insights take care now All right. good night